talk about walking with God, so few people really even have a clue what that means. And so this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what it means to walk with Jesus. In fact, walking with Jesus has got to be your number one pursuit every day. Did you know that? It's got to be right up there with breathing and with eating and with drinking water and these things that keep you alive. I mean, how important, what happens if you don't eat? This is not a hard question. What happens if you stop eating? You, hello? You get skinny, someone said, right? <laughs> what happens after you get skinny? You're not sure, eh? I have to get Dr. Shane up here and give everybody a lesson. What happens when you don't eat? Uh, this church has uh, never had a problem with that, I don't think, with not eating. <laughs> In fact, some people are really religious about it, aren't they? <laughs> Can't do without our food. What happens if you don't breathe? You die. Good, you're getting it. You're getting it. Thank you. Good. What happens if you don't drink water? You get thirsty. No, you, you do. You, you die. You die. You get the point. And what happens if you don't walk with Jesus? Oh, you got it. You're right. Spiritually, you're, you're gone. You're dead. It's got to be at the top of your to-do list every day to walk with Jesus. And I want to ask you that question this morning. Are you, are you walking with Jesus? We call walking with Jesus a guiding principle for the Christian life or, or one of our values. We value this as one of the most important things that we do on a regular basis. And by the way, can I just tell you this? I can tell you what your values are based on the way that you live your life. You say, Pastor, I thought you weren't supposed to be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just, I'm just saying that I know how you live your life based on the things that you do. So let's just, let's just have a little primer again, a little reminder of what values are all about. What's the definition? And here's what, uh, here's what we've come up with. Values are a collection. Read that with me. A collection of guiding Usually positive principles, what one deems to be correct and desirable in life, especially regarding personal conduct. Again, let me remind you, the reason I have highlighted usually positive is because uh, there are a lot of people who have values that are not Christian. How many know that? Are not positive, are not godly, are not reflective of Christ. In fact, when we were in Greece, you know what we discovered? We discovered that the Greek people really really admired people who were cunning, people who were able to, to pull one over on you. You know, they, you, you, you'd, you'd have someone pull something off on you, you know, ripped off, and, and you know, your, your immediate response would be, you know, that dirty, good for nothing. But with them, it's like, oh, that's amazing. That was really good. I love the way you ripped me off. <laughs> I wish I could have done that. That was a value for them. And we see that in different cultures, don't we? Well, here's the thing. As Christians, we're supposed to be walking with the values that Christ has passed on to us through his teaching and through his lifestyle. And this is why we talk about walking with Jesus. Look, look at what else we've discovered. We discovered that values generate behavior. So I, can, I know what your values are based on your daily and weekly and monthly and yearly behavior. What you do flows out of what you value. So, for instance, if you, uh, if you believe that we need to care for the poor and for the needy, then, then I will see behavior that reflects that. Does that make sense? You will be one of those people involved in sharing and giving and helping those in need. 
because that's a value. You always generate behavior based on your values. Thirdly, we recognize that values answers the question as to why people do what they do. And so if you, if you wonder why you do what you do day by day, if you wonder why you are where you are, if you, want, you scratch your head and think, how on earth did I get here? How did this happen to me? Why, why is my marriage like this? Why is my family like this? Why am I in trouble? Almost always we can trace it back to the values that you have and the lifestyle that you've lived based on those values. It's not, it's not difficult to understand. You can figure this out. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Finally, values creates expectations and predictability, without which a culture would disintegrate and its members would lose their personal identity and sense of worth. And so here's the thing, friends. You and I belong to the church or to the family of God. And as people who belong to the family of God, we have certain values that are different. We have values that are not the same as those who are in the world. Our values are our Christ-likeness. Our values reflect Jesus. Does this make sense? So here's the thing. I had a young person come up to me after the first service, and he said to me, Pastor, thank you so much for preaching that. One of the things I recognized as you were preaching is that I was leaning towards the values of this world. I was, I was pursuing the things that this world said I should pursue, and I recognized that I wasn't pursuing God. And so I want to ask you that question this morning. What are your values? And what does it mean to daily walk with Jesus? Last week we said that our, our, our number one value is to be like Jesus. And so here's the thing with me as a Christian, is that I'm constantly asking myself the question, does my life reflect Jesus? Am I being like Jesus? Is, is what's coming out of my mouth being like Jesus? Am I driving like Jesus would drive? That one I'm still working on, but that's a tough one. Uh, but am I being like Jesus? We had uh, contractors at our house doing a little bit of work, and it, it, they were driving me crazy because they weren't, they weren't, they, you know what happened? They sent a bunch of young kids to work. And I'm not saying young kids don't work well, but these ones needed guidance. And it was making me want to pull the hair out of my head. And as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and I, as I was thinking about what I'd like to say, Anybody know what I'm talking about here? What I like to say, I would be checked in my spirit by, by God, reminding me that I had to be Christ-like. And it's like, oh, God, do I have to be Christ-like here? I want to really let them know that they're doing this wrong. And I can tell you that at the end of, the, end of it all, I think that my, um, my Christian testimony is intact. I mean, I even called my lawyer. I was really upset. I, we had to get this thing sorted out. And my lawyer said, well, why don't you just tell him, get off the site. And, and I said, you know what? It's because I'm a Christian. I don't want to compromise my testimony. Because when they quoted the job, the fellow asked, so what do you do for a living? I hate it when they do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pastor. And I wondered if you thought, oh, good, we can walk all over this guy. I mean, that's what that, that comes to mind. My number one value is to be like Jesus. And being like Jesus, even if it costs me. You hear what I'm saying? This is our values, people. This is what we believe. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now that was, I know what you're thinking right now. Does that mean I'm going to be a doormat? And you've got all kinds of stuff going through your mind. Good, think about it. 
pray about it. We'll talk about it more. But the second thing is we need to walk with Jesus. That needs to be our second value. Now, why do we need to walk with Jesus? Because the only way that we can be like Jesus is if we walk with him and know who he is. Does this make sense? You have to walk with Jesus. And it's got to be right up there with breathing, eating, drinking water, brushing your teeth. I guess you could get away without brushing your teeth, but your family may not like it. But I'm going to tell you this. You can't survive without walking with Jesus on a daily basis. Coming to church on Sunday, my friends, is not going to cut it. You have to walk with Jesus on a daily basis. Now, as a Christian, I, I am talking to Jesus constantly. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I find myself talking to Jesus. I find myself driving along and something's concerning me. I'm talking to Jesus about it. I'm, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm, I'm, I've got my little devotional book. I'm reading that on a daily basis. I'm nourishing my spirit. I'm walking with Jesus. Are you doing that? It has to be your number one pursuit. It's got to be at the top of your to-do list. Anybody have a to-do list? From now on, at the top of your list, write, walk with Jesus today. That's got to be your number one priority. As a father... I ask my kids before they go to bed at night, I'm saying goodnight to them, I said, did, did you pray? Did you read your Bible before you, before you turn the lights off? They said, this is, this is not a suggestion, it's not just a good idea. It's, it's our responsibility as parents to train our children to walk with Jesus. As your pastor, it's my job to instruct you, to teach you, to lead you, to remind you to walk with Jesus. That's why you hear me say from this pulpit all the time, read your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've heard, you, you've heard this hundreds, if not thousands of times, if you've been here over the years. It's my responsibility to remind you to walk with Jesus. Now, before we go any further, I've got to say this to you. Um, walking with Jesus is not to meant to be a chore. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be sort of one of the religious activities that you have to engage in. I mean, the worst thing for you to do would be to open your Bible and go, all right, God, I'll read the Bible. Lord, now lay me down to sleep. I pray, Lord, my soul is keep I should die before I wake. Pray, Lord, Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy and so many people approach their walk with God just like that, just going through the motions. Listen, if that's what your Christianity consists of, then you're completely missing the boat. You're missing out on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look what it says here. Jesus has just been crucified. He's been put in the grave. He's risen from the dead. Now he's appearing to the disciples. He's, he appears to some of his disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And then he all, all of a sudden he departs. But while he's with them, he's teaching them. He's instructing them. And listen, look at what they say. They asked each other after he was gone and after it occurred to them that they've been talking to Jesus. They said, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? while Jesus talked with us on the road. Now listen to me. This is what it means to have 
a loving relationship with somebody. You have or sense that, that warmth. You sense that love. You sense that bond, that connection, that fellowship, that refreshment that takes place when you're in the presence of your beloved. Does this make sense? I, the only example I can give you is an example that's very biblical. It's how I felt when I was courting Gloria. Gloria. I lived in Carberry, pastoring in Carberry. Gloria lived in Winnipeg, going to nurses' school. And I, every Sunday night, as soon as, as I would have my bags packed, they'd be in the car. I would do the Sunday night service in Carberry, and then get out of my car and get, or get out of the church and go right into my car, and then drive to Winnipeg all the way, looking at the northern lights, nice music playing, this moon would be shining full. And my heart is full of love. <laughs> I'm thinking of my sweetheart. I can hardly wait to be with her. And I would arrive Sunday, Sunday night exhausted, late at night. And then the next day, I'd call and we'd get in touch. And we'd go for breakfast. And breakfast would run into lunch. And uh, my kids are not in this service. Oh, Jesse is. Plug your ears, Jess. <laughs> Gloria even missed classes a few times. You didn't hear that. Do you, know, do you want to know why? Because her heart was burning within her, as was mine. Listen to me. That's a relationship, a loving relationship. And that is precisely what God wants for you in your relationship to Christ. That's when you know you're truly walking with Jesus. And you say, Pastor, that sounds like kind of a vulgar illustration to you. That's a vulgar analogy. It's not. It's precisely the way God describes our relationship to Jesus. Did you know that? The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. Did you know that? You are his bride. You are his beloved. He loves you. And the thing that he loves more than anything is when you are in relationship to him, when you are walking with him. Didn't our hearts burn within us? My friends, if you're missing out, listen, if you are missing out on this aspect of the Christian life, then you are missing, you're missing almost everything. Because this is the joy and the excitement and the thrill of the Christian life, is that you are in relationship with Almighty God. You are enjoying His presence, and He is enjoying you. Now, Jesus instructs us what it means to walk with Him. And the first thing we, we see is, is that Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a, read that with me. If a man remains in me, and I in him... He will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying this to, to you today. There's no way on earth that you could hope to be a Christian if you are not abiding in Christ, if you're not remaining in Christ. Okay, let's, let's just, I'm just going to give you all the terminology that all means the same thing. To remain in Christ, to abide in Christ is what it says in the King James Version, to um, to, to dwell in Christ, to live in Christ, to walk with Christ. It all means the same thing. It means that you are staying connected to him. And the, and the description 
that Jesus uses to help us to understand what it means to remain in him is the, is the analogy of the vine and the branch. Does everybody know what happens when you cut off a branch? Oh, boy. Dr. Shane, you're going to have to come up and explain this one, too. <laughs> what happens when you cut off a branch? It, very good, very good. For those of us city slickers who are not used to this sort of thing, I had my very first horticultural lesson when I was six years old. We had just uh, moved into 31 Coburg. Uh, it's 1967, I think it was. And um, we had no plants growing at the front of our house. It's some ferns. But how many know that ferns are pretty plain and dull and kind of ugly, actually? And uh, there's not much growing at the side of the house. There's a little bit of the lily of the valley. And I thought, you know, this place needs a fixing up. I was six years old. <laughs> this place needs a fixing up. And I thought, you know, there's some nice lilac trees down the, down the street here. I think there would be nothing, nothing nicer than to have lilac bushes in our front yard. Right? So I went home and I got my jackknife. Those were the days when six-year-olds had jackknives and knew how to use them. And uh, you could take them to school even. <laughs> I went and got my jackknife and I cut myself off. I don't know. I, lots of branches. Um, I never did find out what the owner of those lilac <laughs> bushes thought of that, but I cut those branches off, I took them home, and I planted them in the front yard, all nicely across the front, and then down the side of the house. It looked great. It smelled wonderful. Anybody like the smell of lilacs? Oh, there's nothing like it is there. Oh, yeah, I can smell it now. My mom came out and took a look. And I sat there beaming, stood there beaming. What do you think? She said, they're lovely. I don't think my dad remembers this. He came home from work. I said, Dad, what do you think? Very nice. Next morning it came out. Lilacs are beautiful when they're standing firm and standing upright. After 24 hours of being disconnected from the branch, it was this. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And the leaves were all beginning to droop and beginning to curl up. I learned a valuable lesson. When the branch is removed from the, from the main stem, from the root, when the branch is removed from the vine, it dies. It begins to wither. And you know, it's not obvious right off the bat. It doesn't happen instantaneously. This, the, thing, the lilacs were still smelling good. The leaves were still green, except for a bit of drooping and a bit of wilting. It looked fine. How many of us are like that? We're going from day to day and we think everything's fine, but what we don't realize is that we've been disconnected from the source and inwardly we've begun to die, we've begun to wilt. And Jesus is saying this, without me, without being connected to Christ, without walking with Jesus, you begin to die. You begin to fall apart. And guess what happens? You cannot manifest the fruit of the Spirit when you're disconnected from Jesus. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't exercise. You cannot manifest this stuff on your own, Jesus says. You can't be loving. You can't be unselfish. You can't be peaceful. You can't be full of joy if you're disconnected from the vine. 
Guess what else? You can't serve Jesus if you're disconnected from Jesus. There's a lot of people that try. They do good works. But Jesus says, you cannot bear fruit unless you're connected to him. So the question is this. Is, are you connected to Jesus or are you disconnected? You say, Pastor, how do I know? Well, it's easy. You started to wilt inside. You started to lose your enthusiasm. You started to lose your temper. You're, you're, you're not joyful. You're not excited about being in church. You're not excited about being with believers. You're not excited about worshiping. When the, when, when the worship is happening, you're just standing there waiting for it to end. <laughs> Fifteen minutes of standing. <laughs> when you're connected to the vine, you've got a fire in you. You've got a joy. You've got a peace. You've got a happiness. You have an enthusiasm and an excitement. You have a desire and a longing to share Jesus with a broken and hurting world. Are you connected to the vine? You know, common demand. And it's something that I've really struggled with over the years. A common demand of me as a pastor is, Pastor, why can't we have... Why can't we have more of the miraculous in church? Why can't we have more people slain in the spirit? Why can't we have more of this and, 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 and swinging from the chandeliers? Uh, I'd like to see that, actually. <laughs> why can't we have more of that? I'm going to tell you why. And I tell you that a lot of churches will manufacture it. They'll, they'll, man, they'll work it up. So it's to give a feeling of the presence and the power of God in our midst. And I can tell you that. I've been in services where it's very, very active. Lots of action. Dancing, jumping, cartwheels, and somersaults, and swinging. And, 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 but God's not there. I couldn't have said that 20 years ago. I would have felt too insecure and say, well, who am I, who am I to say that? But it's so nice. Gloria and I both say it's so good to be in our 40s. So good to, to grow up and be mature. Anybody say amen to that? Anybody, would, anybody that's in their 40s want to go back and do it all over again? Not me. Not me. Here's, here's, here's what God wants. And here's why we don't experience the miraculous the way we would like to see it. It's not because God can't do miracles anymore. I believe that God wants to do miracles for those who don't know him at all, who have no relationship with him. Because it's a power and a display of his power to those who don't know Christ. But I also believe that that display of the miraculous will also be known to those who have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, for those who are connected to the vine. But for those of us who are not walking with God, we're looking for, listen to me, we're looking for a cheap imitation of the real thing. What you and I need, before we need any miracles, you and I need to walk with Jesus. We need to abide with Christ. I'm going to tell you this. If you're not walking with Jesus, if you're not abiding with Christ, if you're not, if you're not experiencing him on a daily basis, then the miraculous can very quickly become a substitute for the most important thing in your life. And God will not let that happen to you. God will not allow you to have a substitute because what he wants more than anything is a relationship with you. The Pharisees were always saying, give us a sign, give us a miracle, give us 
And God's saying, no way. You're not getting a miracle. You're not getting a sign. Because what I want is a relationship with you. And I'm going to tell you that, my friends. You're looking for miracles. You're looking for answers to prayer, which I'm going to talk about to you about in just a moment. The very first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to learn how to pray. You have to learn how to walk with God. When I was a youth pastor, oh, how many, how many remember their, the days of their youth? Anybody? Are some of you too old to remember that? <laughs> do you remember the drama? Do you remember the anguish, the questions? Every day was a catastrophe. Every day was a disaster. Every day was, oh, God, the end of the world, is, the sky is falling. It's all over. And I, as a youth pastor, used to get called constantly. I'd get called all, all day and, and sometimes all through the night. Pastor, my life, my life is falling apart. It's, it's collapsing. I, one day I was in prayer and saying, God, I can't take this anymore. It's going to kill me. And God, God reminded me that I'm not the vine. God reminded me that Jesus is the vine. And God spoke to my heart and said, Alan, why are you trying to be the vine? You're not the vine. I understood exactly what God was saying. And so I took my youth aside and I said, look it, you all have permission to phone me anytime if you have a problem, if you have a question, if there's some catastrophe looming. If the sky is going to fall, you're allowed to phone me. But before you do that, you must first do your devotions. In other words, you must first walk with God. Now, that was some 25, 26, 27 years ago. My dear friend Doris Weeb remembers me when I was just fresh out of Bible school, fresh out of the oven, <laughs> and just started the ministry. And Doris used to pray for me and with me. But I told those kids, you do your devotion. You walk with Jesus first. Connect with God. Pray and read your Bible first. And then if you still have a question, feel free to call me. Well, guess what? I had maybe, maybe 25% of the calls that I used to get. And here's the thing, friends. When you walk with God, God begins to reveal his mind to you. The questions start getting answered. The problems that seem so formidable are not so difficult anymore. The, the, the obstacles that you thought were stopping you are not so difficult anymore because you're connected to the vine. Your priority, my friends, has got to be this, to walk with Jesus, to, to abide in Christ, to do your devotions, whatever you want to call it, but it's walk with Jesus because that's the only way that you're going to be like Jesus. Now, what happens if we don't walk with Jesus? Well, look what Jesus says here. If anyone does not remain in me, read that with me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, back in 1988, there was a man by the name of Lee Atwater. Those of you who are around my age, you may remember that name. Lee Atwater was the campaign manager for George Bush Sr. He was running for, for office. He wanted to be elected the next president of the United States after President Reagan. Some of you may remember that President Reagan considered by some to be one of the greatest presidents, uh, by others maybe not. But Lee Atwater's job was to try to get George Bush Sr. elected. And George Bush was saying stupid things like, I don't get the vision thing. But somehow Lee Atwater was able to take President Bush 
senior from a position where he was actually 17, uh, 17% behind Dukakis to a place where he actually passed Dukakis and in fact won a landslide both in the electrical and the popular vote. Absolutely stunning. And everybody thought Liatwater was the god of politics. In fact, if he hadn't gotten sick and died in 1991, they said that he would have helped Bush defeat Clinton. He would have defeated Clinton. But Lee Atwater, before that next campaign got sick, was unable to fight for Bush. Now, where am I going with this? Lee Atwater was one of the dirtiest political operatives in the history of American politics. Dirty, dirty, dirty. So dirty, in fact, that he had to have bodyguards to protect him because there were threats on his life. He was hated. In February 1991, he wrote an article for Life magazine, and he said this. He says, my illness helped me to see that what was missing in society is what's missing in me. A little heart, a lot of brotherhood. The 80s, he says, were about acquiring, acquiring wealth, acquiring power, acquiring prestige. And he says, but you can acquire all you want and still feel empty. What power wouldn't I trade for a little more time with my family? What price wouldn't I pay for an evening with friends? It took a deadly illness to put me eye to eye with the truth, but it is a truth that the country, caught up in its ruthless ambitions and moral decay, can learn on my dime. In other words, he says, you can learn from me. He says, I don't know who will lead us through the 90s. In other words, I don't know what leader or what president will lead us through the 90s, but they must be made to speak to this spiritual vacuum at the heart of American society, this tumor of the soul. Lee Otwater came to the conclusion that no amount of wealth, no amount of power, no amount of prestige or fame could satisfy his heart. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart today because, my friends, this, these are the values of this society. These are the values of our culture. And Jesus comes along preaching a set of values that are absolutely diametrically opposed to the values of this culture. And here's the thing, if you have not embraced the culture, or embraced the values that Jesus has taught us, then you'll be embracing the values of our culture. You will, and you do, have values, whether you know it or not. And if you're not embracing the values of Christ, then you're embracing the values of Liat Water. He calls it moral decay, this moral decay, the spiritual vacuum, this tumor of the soul. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. This is what will happen to you. You will wither. You will dry up. You will be like a branch that's, that's picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And maybe that's the way you feel today. Your life is a disaster. Your life is in trouble. Your marriage is in, in trouble. Your, 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 uh, your family's in trouble. Your kids are in trouble. Could it be that you've been disconnected 
from the source. If you want to know the power of God at work in your life, then you need to know the power of being connected to Jesus. You show me someone who's disconnected from church, disconnected from Christian fellowship. Show me somebody who's disconnected in times of worship and has lost their enthusiasm. I'm going to show you someone who's not walking with Jesus because you can't help worshiping and praising God. You cannot help but have an enthusiasm and an excitement, a joy. You can't help but be full of life if you're connected to Jesus. I talked to a pastor this past week. It was a fellow I went to Bible school with. And he was, in a sense, voted as one who was most likely to succeed in ministry. He was very talented, excellent preacher, um, came from a great family. And uh, I talked to him this week at district conference and was so sad to hear that his marriage had broken up and his life was a shambles. But I said, that's, that's strange to me because yesterday I saw you driving, driving in your Mercedes Benz. You look like you got the world by the tail. He says, I, I don't. You see, he had, a, he had a choice to make. He was either going to follow Jesus and maybe drive a Ford Escort or a Ford Freestar with a roof rack or he was going to enter the business world make lots of money and drive a Mercedes Benz. Now I, I can ask you that question. You say, oh pastor, I would choose the Ford Escort any day. Yeah, but what if it was really handed to you and you had a choice and you would say, here's the keys, take your pick. What would you pick? Sadly, he chose the Mercedes-Benz. And all of the grief and the pain that went with it. Now, if you thought that what I was saying is Mercedes-Benz are evil, then you missed my point. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you are choosing the values of this world, you will end up exactly like Lee Atwater, feeling the sense of moral decay, the spiritual vacuum, the tumor of the soul, as he puts it. What brings you joy, what brings you happiness, what brings you peace in this life, my friends, is being connected to Jesus, walking with him, and doing what he wants you to do, not what you want. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing. By the way, my friend is, is getting his life back on track. I pray that his marriage will be restored. I don't know if that will happen, but I pray it. But I'm going to tell you, you don't end up in a catastrophe. You don't end up in a disaster by accident. It's, it's values that are manifesting behaviors. And if you are walking with Jesus, I can guarantee you. I'm not saying that you're not going to have suffering and pain in your life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in the midst of any suffering or pain you may experience, Jesus will be there, and you will have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing. 
I hear questions all the time, and, and the questions go like this. People will say, and maybe you've been one of those that have asked this question, why doesn't God answer my prayers? And why, why does it seem so difficult to pray? Have you had that question? Or why is God so silent? Or God's never there when I need him. Well, let me ask you this. Are you there when God needs you? I have uh, certain people in my life that, that I never hear from until they need something. Do you, you know people like that? You never hear from them except when they need something. And then it's like, hi, Alan. Just wanted to know if I could borrow your... Just wondering if you could be my... I just wonder if you could do... You know what I'm talking about. Never hear from them except when they need something. Now let me ask you. How do you feel about people that only talk to you when they need something? How do you feel? You feel used. You feel taken advantage of. You feel like this is not a real relationship. This relationship is a sham. It's not real. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't want a relationship like that either. God does not want to be used either. And if you are struggling and can't understand why God seems silent not answering prayer, maybe it's because the only time you talk to him is when you need something. Maybe it's because the only time you'll pray is when you're really in trouble. I'm going to tell you something. God is not going to just snap his fingers and give you whatever you want just because all of a sudden you're, you're offering up a panic prayer. You get the panic prayer. It's, oh, God, help. I'm going to die. It's falling apart. I'm going broke. I'm going to lose my job. And boy, now you're getting real spiritual. Oh, God. I mean, I'm kneeling in prayer now because I mean business. No more just sitting on the couch. I'm going to kneel. I'm going to kneel on the bare floor. <laughs> That's not going to impress God. What God wants is for you to abide in him and have this relationship with him. No one wants to be used, and God's no different. But look what, look what Jesus says here. And here, here's, the, here's where you're going to find the power in your life, in your spiritual life. How many want to have power in their spiritual life? Want to see answers to prayer? Want to see God move and do the miraculous? Remember we talked about the miraculous at the beginning? You want to see the miraculous? Here's, here's what it looks like. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, say it with me. And I've heard people say, you know, that's not true because that doesn't happen for me. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is that we remember, we love verse 7. Don't we love verse 7? Oh, yeah, all I have to do is ask. God's going to give it to me. What a deal. What a deal. We like verse 7, but we don't like verse 5 and 6. We, we love verse 7 where we just, all we do is we rub, the, the, rub the, the magic lamp and the genie pops out and gives us our three wishes, right? Yes, that kind of Christianity. Woo! No. No, because here's, here's the thing. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. And here's the thing. When you start to walk with God, you get to know the mind of God. 
You get to know the will of God. Now suddenly, because you're walking with God on a daily basis and you know the mind of God, now when you pray, you are praying according to God's will. When you are praying according to God's will, then these words are absolutely 100% true all the time. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Because you're walking with God and you know the mind of God. But if you're not walking with God and you're just talking to Him maybe once a month or once a week, you're probably not in a place where you know God's will. And God's calling you to enter into that. Jesus says in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I don't call you servants. I don't call you slaves. Listen to what Jesus says. I have called you friends. For, you, for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Wow. Everything that Jesus, this is, this is not an exaggeration, friends. This is what Jesus says. He's everything that the Father has told me, now I'm going to tell you. And this is the promise for you. You want to know answers to prayer? You want to know God's will for your life? You want direction and guidance? You want your life to start making sense? You've got to walk with Jesus. There's no alternative. There's no other way around this. You're experiencing doubts in your life right now. You're, you're having a problem, problem with doubts in your Christian faith, wondering where you know, if Jesus is real, if God's real, and the Bible, and whatever. Walk with Jesus, and those things will sort themselves out. You've questioned your mind, oh, boy, I sure wish I could ask the pastor. I will say to you what I said to the kids in my youth group 25, over 25 years ago. I'm going to say this to you. Do your devotions first, and then give me a call. You've got problems in your marriage? Pray with your spouse. Do your devotions together. Then give me a call. And I have a, I have a feeling that if you do your devotions, if you, do your, if you walk with God, then you probably won't need to call me much. Because my Bible is very clear that God wants to help you, wants to give you what you need, wants to strengthen you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Would you stand with me, please? Don't bow your heads. Don't bow your heads. I want you to look at me for a moment. Standing before you this morning is your pastor. Do you know what a pastor is? The shepherd. That's what it is. I'm your shepherd. You are the flock. You are the sheep of the flock of Jesus Christ that I've been given the responsibility to care for. You want to know if there's anything that keeps me awake at night, if there's anything that causes me, once I've awoken in the night, to stay awake, it's you. You keep me awake at night. You make me lose sleep. Because I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. Because you're my responsibility. And I have to give an account before God someday. I have to stand before God and give an account. And God's going to say, Alan, what about these people? And what about these people? And what about them? And what about them? I have been 
thinking and praying about this series on values for over a year now, waiting for God to give me the green light. I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been studying about it. And here's the thing. When I hear of things that my sheep, who have been purchased by Jesus Christ with Jesus' own blood, when I hear of things that my sheep are doing or saying, when I hear about things that my sheep are saying on Facebook that does not reflect Jesus, it causes me grief and pain like you cannot imagine. If there was anything that would cause me to resign as your pastor, as your shepherd, it would be that I was somehow unable to properly care for you. As your shepherd, the one appointed by God to be your pastor, I'm calling you, dear sheep, beloved of Jesus, I'm calling you to stay near the shepherd, the good shepherd, and his name is Jesus. I am an under-shepherd. I'm like the sheepdog, if you will, running around in circles, trying to keep you going in the right direction. And you know where I'm trying to herd you? You know what direction I'm trying to, to lead you to? I'm trying to lead you to Jesus. It's the only way that you're going to be safe. It's the only way that things are going to go right for you in this life. And I want things to go well for you. I want you to have a good life. I want you to have a happy and a successful marriage. I want your kids to grow up and follow Jesus. But it depends on your willingness to follow Jesus, to walk with him. I say to you, my dear sheep, run from evil. And you say, but what direction do I run in? Very simple. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus and walk with him. And watch your life turn around. Watch your life be completely changed. Watch the miracles that begin to happen in your marriage, your family, your life. Because you're walking with Jesus. Father, I commit this flock to you right now, asking for grace as their pastor to lead them, to teach them, to herd them towards you. I pray, O oh God, that each one here today will leave this place with a burning desire to walk with Jesus, that they, each and every one, may know the power of God at work in their lives that they may find success, that they may find prosperity, that they may find the joy of the Lord, the peace of God that passes all understanding. All of this because we walk with you. Now, Lord, we pray, make your face to shine upon each one. Give peace until we meet again. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Would you tell somebody beside you, God is good.